Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Communications at Stiefel, joined as always by our Chief Washington Policy Strategist, Brian Gardner in Washington. Hey, Brian. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm hanging in there. Uh, a, a, a tough weekend for my uh, for my big blow for uh, oh. Giants. In, in, in you know, and, and I'm sure as a Jet fan, you're happy with the win, but that was one of Brutal. the worst games. Brutal. And that's not an exaggeration. It was brutal. It was uh, probably the best worst game I've ever seen. Yes, I mean it was. It was close, uh, and um, you know it wasn't a blowout, but. Uh, I mean, between the penalties, the injuries, the number of punts, and the in, in, uh, anemic offenses, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was tough to watch. It was very tough to watch. You had some, I mean, in my opinion, bad coaching thrown in there too. By uh, both by both sides, probably. Yeah. Well, I'm used to seeing the bad coaching by the Jets because I watch those games. I don't always watch the Giants games, so that was a treat to see someone else's coach making some boneheaded decisions. Uh, at the same time, you know, you know, we've got the World Series going on. It, it looks like a decent series. It's only in game. We've only gone through three games. Texas is up, uh, I think, two to one. Um, so I, it could be a good series. I, the, the 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 league championship series were good. They were so good. this this is going to disappoint you, Brian. And I'm almost sorry to admit this, but I have not watched one pitch of the of postseason baseball. Not one. Not the wild card round, not the ch- not the championship round, nor have I seen an inning of the World Series. I just haven't. You know, this, despite the the title of the podcast, this is supposed to be a sports podcast. So I know. I'm a little know. disappointed to hear that, but I know we'll get over it. Well, um, speaking of sports, kind of a lot of synergy between what's been going on with Washington and sports. I feel like watching this House Speaker race was like you know watching a long baseball 162 baseball games and we, eventually we get a world series winner and eventually we have a house speaker politics is a contact sport it ain't yeah. so yeah that's what we've had the last couple of weeks yeah so but in all honesty i feel like that's what we've had watching the house speaker is like watching a 162 game baseball season it seems to drag on forever and then you get the excitement at the end in october and you get a winner and we do have a new speaker, so I don't think we've spoken, uh, Brian, since that has happened. So your reaction? And really, you know, in in the podcast prior to the election of Mike Johnson as the as the new speaker, we hadn't talked about Mike Johnson. Yeah, the dark horse, Mike Johnson. Um, He's kind of the Arizona Diamondbacks of the House race. Ah, uh, I like. I, I I see what you did there, Neil. Nobody um, talked about Arizona. I mean, that would have been no. a good bet at the beginning um, of the season. But so you know, Johnson's—he's um, inexperienced. He's only in his fourth term. Um, uh, he is a conservative, um, but he—he's um, not a bomb thrower. So his voting record is conservative, but his personal approach to politics is more collegial. And I think that made the moderates of the Republican Party who were apprehensive about somebody like Jim Jordan, they, they felt much more comfortable with Mike Johnson. Um, and the conservatives like him because they view him as one of them. Um, but like I said, he's inexperienced. He's never been in leadership. He's only been in Congress. This is his fourth term. So uh, about eight years. No one knows how he will handle the job. Um, so uh, we're going to find out. Um, and He's going to have his first tests over the next couple of weeks with 
a foreign aid package, the extension of the government spending bill, the continuing resolution. Um, he'll probably get a honeymoon over the next couple of weeks that will make things a little bit easier, um, certainly easier than they would have been for Kevin McCarthy. Um, but, you know, longer term, we don't know how how he'll handle the job. Yeah. So let's, well, so a couple of things there, we could take some of these individual things separately, as you mentioned, but the other thing I think that's probably unique about Johnson in this situation is, you know, when you talked about a honeymoon period, he's sort of on a trial run with his own party, right? It's one thing to have a little bit of a honeymoon period from the opposing party, but it's rare that you see you're kind of already starting on, I don't want to say thin ice, but, you know, within your own party, you've got some something to prove. Yeah, I mean, he he um, he has to reassure the moderates that they were right to to vote for him. Um, and at the same time, he uh, he has to uh, affirm uh, the conservatives uh, and and their their the trust that they placed in him. Um, now, because the cons- that conservative block was the one that removed McCarthy and kind of wanted somebody like Johnson. A lot of them blocked other alternatives to McCarthy. I think they're kind of, they're stuck with with Johnson, at least for a little while. Maybe stuck is, mm-hmm. you know, artful of a term, but I think you get, you, you know what I'm getting at here, that um, they kind of proclaimed him as one of their own. Um, and my, Matt Gates in particular, who was Kevin McCarthy's chief tormentor, he was highly complimentary of of Mike Johnson. So they have to stick with him for at least a couple yeah. of months. Yeah. Sort of like uh Zach Wilson. <laughs> we got to stick with him. Um all right. So you had mentioned in your earlier answer, you talked about some tests that he's going to have early on. You mentioned a few. Let's take let's take them one by one. So the first one is the looming government shutdown and the funding of the government. That's coming up pretty soon. Where do things stand in that area? So- yeah, uh, mid mid November, uh, November seventeenth, the current current uh, continuing resolution which funds the government expires, and so in order to avert a government shutdown, that has to be extended in some way, shape, or form. Um, I think that's very likely at this point. Um, uh, Johnson has laid out a pathway to uh, passing individual spending bills. There are twelve annual appropriations bills, and he's kind of laid out a. A roadmap for passing those individually, but I think he and other Republicans recognize that it's just not possible to do before November seventeenth. So I, I I think there will be a fight within Repul- the Republican Party over what the CR looks like. Um, are there cuts to government current spending levels? Is it just extend as it is? When do you extend it to? Um, Senate Democrats in the White House probably want to extend it into December and then try and jam a, a large bill through Congress uh, at year end. Uh, Johnson has suggested January, maybe into the spring, into April. Um, so I, I do think it, I think it's likely that uh, the CR will be extended in sometime into 2024. Um, but at what levels? I think that that's going to be a, an interesting fight. Uh, the conservatives really want some deep cuts in discretionary spending and given the state of the world um defense cuts would be off the table um mm-hmm. for a for a huge chunk of a bipartisan group in congress yeah. on uh defense cuts so that 30 percent cut is going to fall heavily on 
uh, domestic spending programs. And there's some sacred cows in there that no one's going to touch. It, it, that's that's going to be a tougher fight. Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, some of the sort of hot spots going on in defense. So that's another area that you we could talk about in terms of uh, a fight that he may that the speaker may face. And that's an aid, a foreign aid package, given the situation in Israel. And we still have the war going on in Ukraine. So what does that do in that area? So the, the White House is sending up a package to Congress on uh, that was outlined in the president's address a couple of weeks ago. Uh, aid for Ukraine uh aid for uh israel uh aid for taiwan and more border spending and some disaster relief funding um house republicans um as are growing more skeptical uh of additional aid to ukraine so they want to strip that out so speaker johnson has already come up with a standalone bill just on the aid for israel um Interestingly enough, this gets in kind of goes back into the the debate over the the continuing resolution and the spending bills because Republicans want to offset the aid to Israel with cuts elsewhere. Right? They they do not want to be increasing the overall budget, and so they are supportive of the fourteen billion dollar package, but they want it coming from someplace else, and that 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 will be a tough fight. Um, but I I think at the end of the day, I I, I you know I, I don't know we. I don't think we know the actual outcome of the final legislative package, but I feel most confident in the uh, funding for Israel. I think that has very bipartisan support and given um, the events in the Middle East and how timely this package is to that to that conflict, um, there should be more than enough um, uh, political firepower to get to get that through. Yeah. Ukraine will be tougher. And um, I think the president in his address tried to link Ukraine, China, Middle East, and and argue that they're all intertwined. I think that's actually right. Um, I I think that was a good point he made. I just don't know that he did a very good sales job Mm -hmm. in convincing Republican voters and in turn Republican lawmakers about that interconnection. Um, but what, what we have talked about here before, Neil, is that, you know, there are geopolitical risks that I think investors have to have in the back of their mind that if Ukraine funding uh, is cut off or significantly diminished, uh, you know, that, that sends a signal to China about the U.S., uh, about America's uh, engagement in the world and the willingness to, yep. uh, to intervene uh, in places in the world. And that opens the door for China to go into Taiwan um, and possibly thinking that there will be no American resistance. And if there's yeah. no American resistance, no one else is going to no. get in its way. Yeah. And you've talked about that before. Um, okay. Well, then the other thing is, and I'm just, it's hard for me to believe this, but we are really only a year away from the next presidential election. I feel like when we first started talking about this, when we launched the podcast two years ago, it seemed like it was forever. And now it's here in, in within the, the year. Um, so I guess the question would be, given all that we've seen in Washington and going on in the world, these hotspots, um, you know, where do you see the, how do you see the election shaping up? Has anything really changed? And then I know we've got this Kentucky governor's race coming up, which as you pointed out to me, 
um, is somewhat of a bellwether for yeah, so, well, national well, results. Why don't we start there? Because next week is okay. uh, Tuesday, um, a week from the day that we are recording this, um, this podcast is election day. And there are a couple of races around the country. They're not, they're not sexy, high profile races. Um, the Mississippi governor's race, that's, that's not a big deal. Um, some legislative races in Virginia um, that political pros are, are watching. I'm watching. I think they're, they, they could have some telltale signs. But the Kentucky governor's race, it has been a bellwether for several cycles now. So whichever party has won Kentucky, the Kentucky governor's race in the last five cycles has then gone on and won the White House the following year. Yeah. And you said it goes back even further, really. Seven out of eight. That's crazy. I mean, I had no idea until you told me that I would have never. Well, I mean, that's kind of an odd thing to know, but um, I'm full of odd things to know, Neil. What can I say? And do you think there's really like a science behind that? Or do you think it's just one of these freak things that there's really no? I think it's more, you know, coincidental than, Mm -hmm. than, than having a causal relationship there. Kentucky is a Republican state. It's a red state. But Think of it in terms of the mirror image of Massachusetts, which is a deep blue state. But Massachusetts, over its history, uh, especially the last 40 years, has a habit of electing Republican governors, Um, kind of as a check on the state legislature. um, I think there's a similar dynamic in Kentucky. So I don't know that Kentucky is going It actually has proven to be some kind of signal because, you know, the, 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 you know, state, the rest of statewide races in Kentucky stay, you know, stay Republican. They have two, they have two Republican senators. The congressional delegation is Republican, but um, it is, it's just one of those interesting things when you see it and you say, Hey, that's, that's something I got to pay attention to. So then naturally as someone who is not really following Kentucky politics, the natural question is who is in the lead there? So it's a race against the incumbent governor Bashir against uh the attorney general of the state um uh last name is cameron so the incumbent is a is a democrat is a democrat yes right well, okay. I mean, remember so i mean come on Leo, we got the bellwether so four years ago bashir won his first term as a democrat and a year later biden won right um, so um bashir is a is a a moderate democrat um he got very good um reviews early on in his tenure there were some natural disasters in kentucky that were handled quite well from a disaster relief and assistance perspective um so um he you know polling that i have seen um and there hasn't been a ton of it so let's you know take it a little bit with a grain of salt there's just not a lot of information out there but the polls that i have seen suggest that bashir's on his way to to re-election um so now I haven't seen a poll updated in a week or so. So maybe something has changed, but um, he's got a couple, he's outside the margin of error. Let's put it that way. I see. Okay. So, um, all right. So that would bode well if we were yep. going to use this as a real barometer, that would yep. bode well for Biden. Yep. Now I, I will say, you know, also recently um, there was a, uh, the, there was a governor's election in Louisiana. Um, Louisiana, as people may know, it's a different state um culturally it's quite different um it isn't it is the the home state for the for the current speaker um but louisiana has what they refer to as a jungle primary so all candidates run uh in a primary election and if the 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 leader uh in the election gets 50 percent plus one 
they uh, they are elected and don't have to go to a runoff. If there's no, if no one gets to fifty percent, then the top two candidates face off in a runoff. So um, the, the the Congressman Landry, uh, who ran um, for governor and won with over fifty percent, he was elected. The interesting thing was that black turnout in Louisiana was reportedly down. So that has to be so. The Biden administration may get mixed signals um, in these two governor's races. One kind of uh, a negative in Louisiana with black turnout down. That's something that Biden will need uh, next year. Um, But if Kentucky is the bellwether that we think it is, and if the Democrat Democratic incumbent holds on as it appears he is likely to do, um, that would be a good signal um, uh, uh, for for the president. so, you know, the I think right now we're, you know, a year away. So a lot can change. All those caveats. Um, I think Trump is the slight favorite where, as we sit here today. Right. So that that's where you've stood the last few times we've talked about yes. this. So really not um, much of a change. Both um, both candidates. Let's just assume that it's going to be Biden against Trump. That, you know, we, we won't get into the primaries right now. Um but let's assume it's it's Biden versus Trump. They both have very high unfavorable ratings. Um, they, you know, very high negatives. Um, I think Biden could have an enthusiasm problem in his party. I don't know that younger voters will be as enthusiastic as they have been in past mm-hmm. elections. Uh, like I said, Louisiana, um, was that a signal of weak black turnout to come next year? don't know but that that has to be a concern there are fractures within the democratic coalition um and one that i will just point out because it is so timely um is arab americans um it is a constituency group of the democratic party um a growing constituency group of the of the party they it is a large block in the state the key state of michigan there are 200,000 Arab American voters in Michigan, and they are not happy with the administration's response to the situation in the Middle East. Uh, I would not suggest that those voters are going to flip and vote for Donald Trump, but they may stay home. Mm-hmm. Um, or they could vote for a third party candidate, um, you know, whether that's the Green Party or somebody else. Um that's a that's a challenge for the Biden for the Biden campaign. Um, so I would point that out. Look, and, and uh, Trump has his own challenges. He's highly polarized. And we all know that the, the administration, the campaign, I should say, excuse me, is going to step up its attacks on on Trump at some point. Uh, he's going to be back in the news um, with the various legal prosecutions that uh, that to which he is subject. Um, those prosecutions have helped him. Uh, gain a big lead in in the Republican primary, but it's kind of a double edged sword. It's probably going to hurt him in the general election, um, and you know he can be in his own worst enemy by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Um, so um, uh, that so all of this is to suggest that it's going to be a tight race either way. Um, but when you and again, it's a year out, so polling has to be taken with a grain of salt. But when you look at national polls. I think on average, Trump is either tied or maybe slightly ahead. And keep in mind that he is generally in his past two runs, he ran four points behind 
the, uh, nationally, uh, the Democratic uh, candidate. Um, and then when you look at some of the key state polling, um, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, according to Bloomberg Morning Consult polling of a, a week or two ago, Trump leads in all those states and is wow. tied in Michigan. Um, yeah. So these um, uh, and uh, one more caveat, because um, these polling, um, the polling that's going on, a lot of it has just been head to head and has not factored in the third party candidates, um, the multiple third party candidates, the Green Party, the independent run of Cornell West, the independent run of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Not only do we not, we don't have any sense of how they're going to play in those individual states, you know, much less nationally. But, you know, it really matters at the state level, not the national level, because if the Green Party kind of catches fire in let's just say California or Kennedy catches fire in California and gets several hundred thousand votes. It doesn't move the needle in California. So right. But if they get 25, 30, 40,000 votes in a Wisconsin or a Michigan, that's yeah. that, that tilts the outcome. Yeah. Well, that's the old electoral college debate. Absolutely. I, I actually, and this is, I think, a good place for us to end, but I, I'm curious. I did see the vice president's interview on 60 Minutes this week. And the two things I thought were interesting were, number one, um, there were really no attacks on Trump at all. It was very policy focused, and we don't know what was edited out. So we have no idea. But to your point about how at some point they're going to have to ratchet up the uh, attacks. I also thought it was interesting that, you know, you talked about an enthusiasm problem and she was asked about that. And um, I thought it was interesting that while she was giving an interview on 60 Minutes, she blamed lack of media coverage for the reason why a lot of voters are not enthusiastic about the current administration because they just don't know all the things that they've done for them because the media hasn't been covering it. And I don't know, I'm not the politics guy, I'm the media guy, but even I know that when you're the incumbent, you have a huge advantage when it comes to media coverage because everything you do is covered. So so two things. To your point, um, if there's a media coverage problem, that's a self-inflicted wound because you do have the the home court advantage. Huge. Um, the other is if you're blaming the media or lack of enthusiasm among your base, that's a red flag. Huge red flag. Yeah. Now, again, Everything we say, it's a year away. These are all issues that are correctable over time. There are going to be shifts. There are going to be intervening events between now and next year that 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 change the trajectory of the election. But as we sit here on Halloween in 2023, um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of warning signals for the Biden campaign. Um, and that's why I think right now, Subject to change, Trump is a very slight favorite. Yeah. Well, I think it says a lot about our culture this year. I think I've seen more, you know, Trump used to be a popular Halloween costume, but this year it seems to be Travis Kelsey. So I think that, I don't know if that says more about where we are in pop culture or where we are with the election. It, but it may, be, it, may, it may say something about exhaustion with, with politics. Yeah. Um, and by the way, uh, kind of factoring into the election, you know, does that portend lower turnout next year? That's another factor we, you know, we could get into, a, a, and I'm sure we'll discuss down the road. No one knows what turnout's going to look like. I, I can make an argument that we're we're not going to see the same turnout that we have well, the last couple of cycles. 
Well, the other thing, and again, we're way over and we could, this could be another podcast thing, but you know, it'll be interesting because the next election, you know, the mail-in vote, which was such a big focus last time around, because we were in the middle of COVID, um, we we won't have the whole COVID debate, but I'm assuming we're still going to have the early voting and the mail-in voting, which seemed to be quite controversial last time. And I don't really know where that's going for this election. Yes, to an extent, but I think that you're going to see Republicans more embracing of early voting and mail-in voting. So I don't think you're going to see the same pushback from Republicans, at least not as intense as we we did in the last cycle. Yeah, I guess it also depends on how early is early, right? I mean... Hey, look, Florida has early voting. And it's, an, and it's a layup Republican state these days. Well, Florida has early everything, including dinner and all this other stuff. Oh, Just kidding to our Florida <laughs> friend. <laughs> we love Florida. We love Florida. Oftentimes, I wish I was there. So, um, Especially going into the time of year we're going into. Yes, for sure. I mean, you know, 75 degrees in January and dinner at 430. You can't beat it, Brian. You can't beat it. That's good living, Neil. Yeah. And listen, they have a lot of orthopedists down there. And that's where I spend a lot of my time <laughs> these days. So I'm all for it. But anyway, um, that's what we've come down to, Neil, is talking about our doctor's visits. It's true. That could be a whole nother podcast. We're, we're, we're going to be bleeding, bleeding. Uh, listen. Yeah. listen, I've been to the orthopedist so much. I have my, my I, I have my idea for a new podcast. We're going to call it Hip Hip Hooray. And it's going to be all orthopedic issues. So you heard it here first. Check your podcast platforms. That's coming soon. But anyway, Brian, thanks thanks so much for spending some time with us. I think we covered a lot this week. Thank you, Neil. And thanks to everyone for listening. Happy Halloween. And we'll see everybody back uh, in a couple of weeks for another episode, another episode of Potomac Perspective. Take care. <laughs>